Welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast, recorded live from Hollywood. It's time to make it a great day with your host, a man that once got a perm in his hair just so he could look like Kirk Cameron, and a man who failed communication class in community college, Johnny and Elias. The Life oh, yeah. and Laughs Podcast. This yeah, is going to be a fun week. I'm Johnny, my co-host on the West Coast, Elias. Well, well, well. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> I'm all excited. You know why, Johnny. You know why. We are going to TCB today, taking mm-hmm. care of business Elvis style. For ooh, the next ooh. episodes, we have guests of Elvis's family and friends on the show celebrating the life of Elvis Presley. Oh, it's so cool. Let me tell you how cool this is, Johnny. A few years ago, I went and I got a tattoo on my hand, on the outside of my hand. And guess what it says? It says TCB. You know why? Because I like to take care of business. And that's what we're doing on this little series of episodes and here's here's a good thing what what in the world should we call this series that's that's what we're having a problem with over here johnny you came up with some stuff or maybe not what do you think it's so hard to pinpoint because elvis did so many things he encompassed so many different things to give it just one name there were so many aspects to elvis which we are going to cover coming up in this series later on on the show today we have the former mayor and sheriff of shelby county bill morris who was also a close personal friend of Elvis. And then the next episode, we have Marty Lacker's daughters. Marty Lacker, of course, co-best man at Elvis's wedding, Memphis Mafia member. His daughters will be on the show on the next episode. And then coming up after that, we have Dave Hebler, former bodyguard to Elvis Presley. And of course, a lot of Elvis fans know him from writing the book that was the controversial Mm -hmm. book, Elvis What Happened, very controversially, Mm -hmm. came out a month before Elvis died. We'll talk more about that, but Dave Hebler will be on the show to explain his side of things as well. Plus, he has a new book. Hey, also, Elias is part of the Elvis series. Mm -hmm. Letitia Henley Kirk, Elvis's private nurse, is going to be on the show. She actually lived on the grounds at Graceland with Elvis, and they became very close. How cool is that? So excited about that. After that, the following episode, ladies, if you've ever wondered what it's like Mm -hmm. to date Elvis Presley, you're going to find out. We've got one of Elvis's ex-girlfriends. Yeah, yeah, we do. Diana Goodman McDaniel. She uh-huh. is going to be here as well. And here's why I'm so excited is because, see, ever since uh, me and Johnny we met, uh, Johnny's always been in, just so, so, so the listeners know, Johnny's always been into Elvis, like always been into Elvis. He always wore his hair in the kind of pompadour, and he always had the sideburns. He always had the Elvis look, which that was back in the 90210 days also, so people mistakenly thought he was doing the Luke Perry. But I knew, because I knew Johnny, that it was about Elvis. He always loved Elvis. Now, here's the deal. I always liked Elvis, but I wasn't a super Elvis fan. Like, if someone asked me, you know, the traditional question, Beatles or Elvis, well, I would pick Elvis, because I liked it. You know, I lived there in the South and had, you know, the Memphis kind of vibe to me. So I like that. But this is exciting to me, because as an Elvis fan, but not yet a super fan, 
man, I get to learn all these things about Elvis. So I'm going to be growing in my Elvis maturity. By the end of this, I plan to eat enough carbs to look like Elvis in the latter days, and I'm going to wear a jumpsuit on the last episode. Yeah, I see that. And you know we're hitting Memphis when uh, when that week comes, and I'm going to wear that jumpsuit. And before the series is up, we're both going to eat a fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) I hope my cardiologist is not going to listen to this. I've had a quadruple bypass heart surgery already, and they don't don't need to know what I'm going to consume. But hey, we got to go sometime. It might as well be during that. I have to admit, I have had a peanut butter and banana sandwich once. I wasn't a big fan. Although, let me take this back. It wasn't fried. Like mm-hmm. Elvis had it. It was just oh, peanut yeah. butter with banana. Yeah. It didn't have all the butter, the pound of butter like Elvis, oh, Elvis would yeah, fry yeah, it yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, butter and frying things, man, that makes everything completely different, you know. Now, there's another sandwich you and I were talking about oh, yeah. that Elvis, and, and you can't confuse this with the regular fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. This one was called the Fool's Gold Sandwich. Right. Tell them about that. One of his favorites was the Fool's Gold Sandwich, otherwise known as entire loaf of bread hollowed out and filled with peanut butter, bacon, and banana. <laughs> now, I would probably like that better than the peanut butter and banana, because anything with bacon on it, but I couldn't eat the whole thing. There's no way. I, he put the entire, and this wasn't his idea. I think he saw this. I want to say it was in Denver. I can't remember where it was. Somebody <laughs> might be able to correct us. <laughs> he put the entire jar of peanut butter in this hollowed out bread, oh. a pound of bacon. Oh. Yeah. And all in together and would eat this in one sitting. I guess you have to sprinkle insulin on that also (laughs) (laughs) in order for it to balance out if i ate that i would be sick probably for the next couple of days oh you know it man you know it are you a big peanut butter and jelly fan i like peanut butter and jelly it's not something i can eat all the time you remember when we used to go to panama city beach during spring break time yes okay well (laughs) well one time me and a buddy of mine another uh, another friend of mine we went and our ride left us there they literally left and not just like left us from the hotel. They left and went back to Arkansas. Like they were oh gone gosh. all the way back to Arkansas. And I don't think it was their fault. I think that we were somewhere, you know, passed out on a beach somewhere. You know, <laughs> and, but we we decided we're just going to live here now. Like this is where we're going to live. And so we we made these we made this plan to rent a storage unit for twenty five dollars a month, and that was what we were going to do and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So we went to the store. The first part was to get the peanut butter and jelly for a week solid. We made it a week into it and we were eating the peanut butter and jelly eating the peanut butter eating the, and every day by this pool in the hotel because we made this shady deal with the hotel owner that to stay there if we would clean the rooms anyway so this guy was cooking barbecue he was selling barbecue every day and then we found out the very last day before we left we we're like hey man how much is that barbecue because we were eating that peanut butter and jelly every day and the uh, <laughs> the guy says oh two dollars all you can eat like it was cheaper than what we were doing with the peanut butter and jelly <laughs> the whole week just a couple of idiots <laughs> stranded in Florida. And your top five. Top five. I have got in front of me right now the top five. This is the top five weirdest things that Elvis fans have bought. Coming in at number five, and I have seen this in the gift shops at Graceland and little gift shops around uh, in Memphis there. You can actually buy dirt 
from Graceland. It's in a, a little container. It's, you know, it's pretty cool looking little thing. Now, what I don't understand is why would you pay five or ten dollars or whatever they're selling it for? Just take the tour and get some of your own while you're over there. Yeah, Shellshank Redemption style, man. Just get a spoon and stick it in them pants. <laughs> I have to admit that I did that when, <laughs> when I first took my brother to Graceland and we were by the racquetball court and just scooped up a little bit of grass and dirt and uh, maybe a leaf was out there. I can't remember. I doubt I still have it because I have a whole box full of stuff yeah. that I've saved. It may still be in there. I don't know. I also have, this might get me in trouble, but taking the tour in the jungle room, mm -hmm. the den at the house at Graceland, as you're walking up the steps, the walls were carpeted with this shag green carpet as okay. well as the carpeting on the floor. They had it on the ceiling for when Elvis recorded in that yeah. room. Yeah, and yeah. I was leaning there and there were some loose strands that was about to fall off and you could tell where other people have just picked it off, you know. And so I was just leaning... <laughs> And I just kind of felt it a little, and it fell off. And then I was like, oh, they're going to think I stole this. They're going to think I'm the one doing uh, this. So I had to get rid of it. So I had to just put it in my pocket. You, know? gonna, you were worried that they were going to think you were going to steal it. So your your move, I'm your go-to was gonna steal it. <laughs> if I'm going to get caught for stealing it, I'm going to steal it. This is a horrible <laughs> thing, because what if everyone just did what you did? There would be no Graceland. There, everyone's just <laughs> taking a little bit. And for, first of all... Let me ask you this. Is there a way that this is verified dirt that they're selling? Because if it's not, I think they should do the kind of a mixture of what they're doing now and what you're saying. They should give everyone, like you can buy the little glass bottle for $5, and then you go in and you get your own dirt from Graceland while you're on yeah. this. Yeah. Number four is, I can't believe this isn't number one. This would be number one if I if, if I were in charge of this list. But number four is a lock of Elvis's hair. I've got a story about that because okay. You Elvis took it from me. <laughs> I would. I know a guy that was selling it when Elvis joined the military when he was drafted. Mm -hmm. He came to Arkansas and went to Fort Smith. And he was in Fort Smith when he got his first haircut. And that's where my dad lived, my stepmother, uh, my brother. And so she knew the barber that was there because she cut hair. And, you know, they all know each other. And so the barber had actually kept wait, wait, let's hair. go back. What do you mean they all know each other? All the barbers know each other? <laughs> They do. You go to any town, just name a salon, and they're oh, yeah, so-and-so, yes, yes. It's a small world. They are tight. They're like hell's angels. If you're listening and you are in the Fort Smith, Arkansas area, and you are in the cosmetology arena, I want to know from you, do you know everyone else in that arena in Fort Smith? <laughs> Okay, carry on with your story. I just wanted to make sure I heard that right. He actually kept that hair for many years. I don't know if he passed away. I don't know how it transferred hands or whatever. But there's the story there, some of the hair of Elvis. Now, this hair that was sold in other places in online auctions, you know, I don't know how you would verify that, first of all, that that's Elvis's hair. But think about it. You have Elvis's DNA. How cool is that? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And do we know what kind of hair? Like, was it back hair? Armpit hair? Oh, <laughs> Nose hair? Oh. <laughs> How curly was the hair? Oh, no, <laughs> 
that leads us to number three. Number three on the list, and this just happened a few years ago, I don't, three or four years ago maybe, a pair of Elvis's white Fruit of the Loom underwear went for bid at an auction. It didn't sell because it didn't meet the reserve price that they were asking, but I did see the pictures of it. You know, and this is tacky. A lot of people in the Elvis world were rightfully upset that someone would try to sell this. They advertised that Elvis's underwear stains and all. Uh, yeah, it's really a tacky thing, and that's number three on our list of the top five weirdest things Elvis fans bought. Wait, so, I wonder what size they were. I don't know. I don't know. It probably says that in there. I don't if, know. Though. If I were able to get those, you know I'd be running around like uh, like Tom Cruise on Risky Business, just sliding around in my underwear. <laughs> Number two on the list is this. Elvis's supposed toenail. I, I repeat, Elvis's supposed toenail. There's a story of this person in 1984 after they opened Graceland for touring to the public. This gentleman found a toenail in the carpet at Graceland and he's advertised it as possibly <laughs> Elvis's toenail. <laughs> he did put it up for sale. It is now in a museum somewhere. I'm not sure what museum, but that's what they have under it. Possibly Elvis's toenail. Do toenails carry DNA? I have no idea. I would never think about trying to collect someone else's toenail. I, I just never... wonder, like, you know, I wonder if they could, because they always get the DNA samples from, like, the skin underneath the fingernail on the movies, but I never know if there's probably not DNA on the thing or else they, surely they would have checked that by now. <laughs> hey, you know, we don't have to suppose. Let's go ahead and check this. What well, I was 1984, and, you know, and I got to tell you, Elvis's Aunt Delta lived in the house for many years, I believe into the 90s. Could have been anyone. It could have been, you know, 1984, this is, you know, seven years after Elvis had passed away. So yeah. Here again, we're talking about the top five weirdest things mm -hmm. <laughs> that Elvis fans have bought. Number one on our list. Of course, Elias, you may not have noticed this, but all of the Elvis world is, I'm sure, aware in Elvis's earlier pictures, all the way until 56, maybe 57, Elvis had a wart on his wrist. Okay. And you can see this in his pictures. This wart, supposedly, this is the same wart that went up for auction. Would you want to buy Elvis Presley's wart? Oh, yeah, man, I'd want to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> Put that in the jars in a frame. <laughs> Neon light around it with arrows pointing to it. I believe it's now in a museum as well, if I'm not mistaken, and is on display somewhere. But there you go. The top five weirdest things that Elvis fans have bought. Coming up, former sheriff and mayor of Shelby County and close friend to the king himself, Elvis Presley, Bill Morris. Stay tuned. Life and Laughs Podcast is brought to you in part by Dead and Buried Inc. Building a brand is exciting, but there is a lot more that goes into looking professional and staying consistent online than we tend to think. Dead and Buried Inc. are there to help you complete your project by providing top quality screen printing, advertising materials, and marketing services for bands, brands, and businesses of all sizes. With low minimums, fast turnaround times, and the ability to customize anything, they are there to help you from start to finish. So visit deadandburiedinc.com. That's deadandburiedinc.com. Welcome back 
the Life and Laughs podcast. On the Celebrity Hotline right now is a legend in the state of Tennessee. He served as the sheriff of Shelby County in the 60s, which includes Memphis, and later went on to become the mayor in the late 70s through the mid-90s. He was a close friend to Elvis Presley, and he even has an interstate named after him. Welcome to Life and Laughs podcast, Mr. Bill Morris. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much, John. Nice to be with you this morning and be able to talk about our mutual friend, Elvis Presley, particularly. Yes, sir. What an honor to have you on the show. I got to say, how are you doing right now? I'm doing great. You know, uh, not today. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting inside today because the weather's a little bit inclement, so I don't have to work in the yard. Nice. You get a little day of relaxation. Yeah, get a little break, John. Have you been quarantining with all the pandemic stuff that's been going on? I really have. I've stayed at home almost since the 1st of March, except a few instances to to go out to the grocery store and get all masked up, gloved up, do all of that, and keeping my distance and pick up necessities. But I haven't been into a restaurant at all, you know, since the 1st of March. That's probably the toughest part of all of this for me. I don't know about you. Is I actually lost about 15 pounds not going out to eat so much. <laughs> well, actually, I've lost about seven or eight pounds because yeah. I cook. I like to cook. And oh. that, huh? I just don't eat as much rich food. I, I, I eat more wisely. Yeah. You know, as opposed to having a full menu, I cook something that's appropriate. You know, but I tell if you to like peanut butter and banana sandwiches and hamburger <laughs> steaks and meatloaf. Well, that's sort of the kind of food that I eat, but eat more sparingly, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got to ask you, because as a former sheriff and mayor, what is your take on all the current events that our country's been challenged with, first with the pandemic, most recently the effects from the actions of, we'll say, a bad police officer, and the racial divide in our country? I just can't go without asking you that first off. Well, you know, there's, a, 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 I, I suppose, a very mixed feeling because you have to support the idea that if changes need to be made, advantages are being taken of people uh, as a race or what have you, then you have to address that issue. But then you have to remember this, that peaceful protests, where people are doing that, uh, believing they're doing the right thing. They mix that up with a criminal element who lets themselves, they let themselves come and get engaged to use this well-meaning people uh, as a tool and a way to commit criminal activities and create chaos for the businesses. I think most people that are out there protesting are civil and trying to do it right, certainly that way in Memphis. And those people who come along in busloads from out of town, out of the city, and and they merge in with the processors to knock out windows and steal things uh, and create this chaos. That's where I think uh, we have to figure out how to separate the wheat from the shaft, so to speak. You have to support the protests in, in the right way, but you don't have to support the criminal element that uses that to their own benefit. Let's go back in time to a time when black officers couldn't arrest white suspects. In fact, black and white officers couldn't even ride in the same police car. Talk about some of the challenges that you faced as a sheriff during such a tough time. Well, uh, I took office on September the 1st, 1964. And coming into office, the conditions that I found were uh, unbelievable. One was the Civil Rights Act had just been passed, and so it fell my responsibility to begin to enforce that. 
Civil Rights Act. And one was black officers were not allowed to arrest white people in Shelby County. So we didn't yeah. have too many black officers because uh, actually they hired as few as possible. But we changed that day one because where I grew up, uh, it was easy for me because I grew up and many of my friends, we worked together in the cotton fields and so forth. So I had a, a, a total different feeling about blacks and whites. And so with that, we, without any problem, I called the white officers together and the black officers together. And I said, here's, here's the way it's going to be. And I need for you all to make it work. And they did on their own. No coercion, no blueprint, no nothing except good human relations with each other. And, you know, within a month after these guys volunteered to have a partner with one of the black officers, well, within a month, they were actually socializing in a way that they couldn't even believe, you know. And uh, so we never had any more problems internally. We had a big problem, for example, how we handle mental patients uh, in the county. And back at that time, probate court would actually take a person who was declared mentally ill and incarcerate them in the jail until wow. they were actually transferred to a facility uh, out of town. And uh, wow. they, what I found on that first day was they were people that actually locked up in iron cages without any benefit of toilet facilities and all, all of that. So we changed all of that. So in, in that period of time, that's been 56 years ago and mm-hmm. when I was elected. And, and what we, we were able to then, just in a short period of time, as records will reflect, history will reflect, that was a time when Elvis was going out in, into the country uh, doing his thing and becoming a great name in, in the United States. But that was during a period of time, John, when the Civil Rights Act had not been passed. And mm-hmm. so and here he was creating a whole new different music style that was acceptable and part of the black culture, the God black gospel and the music that's of the South, so to speak. And, yeah. you know, uh, he never, ever, in all the years that I knew him, ever participated in anything that had a cultural divisiveness. Yeah. He did his thing. He, he didn't get involved in politics. John, this is important. He was a politician only when it mm-hmm. came to his music. <laughs> he sold yes. his music. He didn't get involved in political issues. As we see today, unfortunately, people get a little bit of fame. Now, use that as a platform for causes just what they believe in or what they think would be helpful to them in many cases. So it's sort of a sad difference between Elvis Presley and the people of stardom today. Well, talk about how you came to meet Elvis and became friends with him. Well, it's kind of a long story. Uh, he and my wife graduated from high school together at Humes in 1953. And Elvis and I had both lived in Tupelo in that area at the same time. As a matter of fact, his parents lived next door to my parents on a little rural farm area before either of us were born. But after Elvis moved, his family moved to East Tupelo. My, you know, my family moved to Fulton, which was next door. My grandmother, as a matter of fact, lived right on top of the hill from where Elvis lived there in East oh, Tupelo. Wow. But anyway, uh, I went to their, his graduation, high school graduation, did not know who he was at that time. I went off to the Army at that same time in 54, in 55. And during that period of time, he did well in music. And when I came back, I went to work for a company that uh, I sold printing. And, and so I became uh, engaged with the family after that at Graceland. I keep moved into Graceland. But uh, then we got to know him when I was elected sheriff more personally and knew him well in high school and had actually had written in her yearbook. 
But anyway, the uh, cash is in me, Dallas. I went out to the restaurant as a printing salesman. I provided services there. But then I went on to be sheriff. And, and uh, when he was in Memphis, me and people around me were looking after him, so to speak, helping to work with the security people. But then we found out what our relationships were with Dan and so forth. He started inviting us out of the house and doing things together and what have you. And uh, then we began to travel some together. And it was a great uh, building up a relationship. And then in 1971, several years later, I nominated him to be one of the 10 outstanding young men in the United States. Yes. The first, I might add, the first the first award he would ever accept of that type because he always felt like people were doing it to use it. But the JC's been a national leadership organization wanted nothing more than to extend uh, the awards to, to celebrate Here's a guy who celebrated it. it was so great in what he was doing. And there are 10 different categories. And mm-hmm. uh, so I nominated him. He, he agreed to accept it if he won. And he did in 1971. And it was an incredible thing for him. And I, I, he has said on many occasions and in writing that it was one of the nicest things that he ever had happen to him. And he shared the award with him most places that he went. That was probably one of the most played speeches that Elvis ever gave. And he didn't give many because, like you said, I believe that was the only award he ever accepted in person like that. Oh, no question about it. And you know, he seemed to be nervous as a cat, but he hosted the other group, other guys who won out at his house and so forth. And he was great on hospitality. Even then, the outstanding people, one of the guys that won was the fat press secretary from the president and what have you. So he was in pretty high cotton politically, but he yeah. was a great host. And uh, the picture of he and I and Priscilla and my wife Ann sitting at the table at the breakfast at that award, uh, one of the, my favorite all-time photographs, even though I sang with him, I had that picture made, and nobody else outside the profession did. Anyway, but Elvis appreciated the award, and, and, uh, and you know, when he was inducted into the Mississippi Hall of Fame, this was two, a couple years ago, I went to uh, Mississippi to accept the award in his behalf. Oh, wow. And that's been, been much better had been much said about that, but the family asked me to go. Cause I, wow. You know, what an honor. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Well, we know his love of collecting law enforcement badges. How many did you give Elvis during the time you knew him as sheriff? Well, you know, he... Hey, hey, actually, he had one more, and then he had one have a special one for the guys, and those were made and ordered and what have you. But the, what I think he enjoyed most, I, he and I went to the National Sheriff's Association headquarters in Washington, and we took the guys in, and everybody was made allowed to join and become an actual member of the National Sheriff's Association and got cards. And those cards were very important to them because they gave them uh, an identity anywhere they went in the United States, but they were, in fact, weren't just contributing with a sticker on the back window uh, support of law enforcement. They had a card that said, we're a member of that organization, and they, and I might add, participated wherever they could in supporting law enforcement initiatives all over the country. Talk about some of your favorite memories and your time spent with Elvis. What what comes to mind? Well, you know, I think some of the most fun times are when you could just sit around the house and uh, sing and tell stories and have dinner and hang up late, go to the movies, hang out to 
three or four o'clock in the morning and seeing movies and watching watching him be normal in a normal environment. And he was absolutely, I think, happiest when he was outside the pressures of producers and Colonel Parker and pressing him to do this and do that and do this and do that. And he could sit there and he could snack and eat and tell stories and bang around on the piano a little bit and uh, smoke a cigar and, have, and let his hair down. Or, yeah. you know, just taking out down like we once we just took off out of the clear blue sky and drove down to Tupelo where he had lived. And actually while there we visited my grandmother, which was close to death at that point. But, you know, just living John, what, Force people, if you saw him from the outside, you saw him perform, you got excited about it. But if you were sitting with him in the environment of home or hanging out with the guys, you saw a completely different person. And he was, uh, he was fantastic to be around. You know, they loved to laugh, you know, and, and uh, just he and Priscilla and Ann and I were out at the house one night, and he was going to show me some karate holes and some karate <laughs> moves. Yeah. Uh, and I said, I remember what Red West said, Bill, if he starts talking to you about practicing karate, you better know he's going to win, and uh, <laughs> yeah, if you can help facilitate that, you'll be a lot better off. <laughs> so, and so it was fun. It, it was fun seeing him going through his movements, karate moves. And I might add, uh, Red would know better than I, but he says that, uh, you know, Elvis, in the movies, if you saw him in the dancing, he had lots of moves. Yeah. Very agile. You know, Elvis is known for his enormous heart and his generosity. Do you have any stories of, of you witnessing that? Oh, absolutely. I was, uh, uh, we were out at the house Christmas and uh, just celebrating Christmas, which we did on many occasions. And uh, always watching him, he's always giving gifts to this to this person, that person. But this one particular time, uh, I was in the den waiting uh, on somebody to do something. Elvis was outside in the yard practicing, flashing his flashlight up in the trees and what have you, because he's checking out some new flashlights. George Klein came in and said, Bill, Elvis wants you to come outside and for a minute. And I said, Okay, so I get up, go outside, and he's standing beside a, a new 280SEL Mercedes Benz mm. Maroon. And he flashed his flashlight on it, and he said, Hey, man, what do you think about that? You like that? That's just awesome, man. Yes, it did. He said, well, Get in and take a ride with me because it's your car, and I want to show you how to operate it. And I said, Whoa. Oh, wow. And it, <laughs> it, was about, it was about midnight of Christmas Eve. And so, uh, naturally, I was, as, as the old saying goes, I all shook up, uh huh, huh. But uh, <laughs> it, he gave, you know, if somebody gives you a, a gift like that, both of us being, you know, I grew up poor and he did. And he knew for guys, cars meant something special. Yeah. And so, anyway, I get the car and he turns on the radio and guess what? The song came on. It's Elvis Presley singing, I'll be home for Christmas. And I said, oh, you got to be <laughs> kidding me. Uh, what, what a coincidence. Oh, how there cool. But anyway, we drove over to the airport and got some cigars and came back. And so, anyhow, that was just for personal thing. But I, on many occasions, he made great contributions to many charities. Like, he was one of the first people who wrote checks regularly to St. Jude, even before it was built and when it was being built. Mm -hmm. And I was involved with St. Jude during those years. But anyhow, it was for the St. Jude the Lions Club, I glasses for the blind, I just driven to uh, drug education program. Elvis contributed constantly to things that he felt was good. He did not come out into the public blowing his horn and being doing good two-shoes type thing. Everything is done mm -hmm. on the quiet. I always, I wasn't going to go back to what we said earlier. 
See, I never saw him create a political issue on yeah. taking a stand on politics. And the only problem he got into was doing his swivel hips in his <laughs> early years. That was the only political problem he had uh, with the media and, and the church organization and so forth. thought he was vulgar. Did Elvis ever go on any ride-alongs with you when you were sheriff? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, we didn't. He didn't do any of that. We we did some ride-alongs, but not as a sheriff uh, doing that per se, we we went out to California and in his home in, in uh, Palm Springs, and and he and the sheriff out there were friends, and so we hobnobbed out there a little bit, but uh, primarily it was observation, you know, and that type of thing. No, I don't believe uh, his management would, would have felt good about him doing that type of thing. However, I might add, after a movie one night, we were out in uh, near the, his house and. Whitehaven and had stopped at the what's called the Gridiron, the Gridiron restaurant. Mm-hmm. And it was about two o'clock in the morning and uh, his wife and, you know, Priscilla and all, but we were sitting there and three or four guys at the next table were being loud and profane. And so I didn't say anything. I just got up, walked over the table and I asked the guy that was doing the most talking, he'd step outside. I wanted to talk to him a minute. And I was just going to ask him to hold it down, but he walks outside with me. And uh, about the time we got outside, I began to discuss his conduct. I looked up, man, Elvis was right on my back. Uh, he he <laughs> wanted to see what's going on here. If, he's going, if, if we're going to have a problem, we're going to have a problem. He was always standing ready. I tell you, he was, he, he was, a, he was a tough kid, and uh, I always felt comfortable with him and, and uh, felt like if you were in a situation, he'd step up. He would step up. Do you remember where you were when you heard of Elvis's passing? Yeah, I was sitting at my desk out on Poplar Avenue, uh, my real estate office, and um, then I got a call from the house, the house being Graceland. Uh, one of the guys out there called me and told me that uh, Elvis, uh, they believed Elvis was dead from, and that uh, they had taken him to the hospital. He checked out and determined for sure. And so I went straight to the house at that point. And, uh, mm-hmm. Why do you think Elvis passed away at such an early age? Well, you know, that's for others to say, but at 42, if you'd only determine, you can only assume that his lifestyle had an awful lot to do with it. And, uh, you know, uh, so more professional people than me that can make those conclusions. But uh, I think as the an observer, it was obvious that he was abusing his body and his mind and it was his lifestyle. And that's uh, that's a sad thing. And uh, what mm-hmm. people do and, and that industry working around the clock, pressure of business and competition and the demands on his life and the success, making demands for, for success and the expectation of success with everything you do. So after a while, whatever reason, the medicine you took or whatever, you can only take so much. And I presume from all I've read and what all I've seen, it was sort of a self-destruction uh, trip that he was on for many, many years. Did you attend the funeral? Oh, absolutely. I was, I think, car number six in the procession Yeah, uh, coming out of the house. Oh, yeah. Describe the scene that. around that. Well, you know, you know, I was at the house and helped to clear the door, the gate for visitors to come and see uh, the body in the, in the living room and so forth. But, you know, I guess I didn't get the full meaning of his death at that point until we came out the gate going to the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And I had I was so shocked to see so many people. And I thought maybe, well, 
this is just a ride around the gates of what the more further we went the bigger the crowd seemed to get all along the highway all the way to the cemetery and i thought that was the most unbelievable thing in two days time that kind of a crowd would gather from all over the country to pay their tribute pay a tribute to elvis and his life it was overwhelming i mean martin Mel and i talked about that years later it was almost like you were it was a movie a setting to a movie you know yeah creating this type of environment but it was uh, breathtaking cheerful i might add and for much time to come it was same like we lost a little bit of ourselves methods lost a little bit of itself mm-hmm. uh, when they lost the great supporter of elvis presley yeah i gotta ask you about this too because you served as an officer during one of the most famous incidents to ever happen not just to memphis but to the united states tell us about that with the martin luther king assassination well i mentioned a little earlier the civil rights act you know in 64 began to sweep the country and changes being made and so forth and and of course for whatever reason uh dr king was leading the charge for equal rights peaceful transitions peaceful changes looking for governors to do more to equal rights for african americans uh, and anyway the assassination took place i was a sheriff at that time and it came on the heels of a sanitation strike where the sanitation workers had been living in an abused environment low pay poor working conditions and so the unions came in and determined they wanted to do something about it well that brought on marches and most of the time friendly protests but sometimes when dr king came to town on the week before he was killed there was a lot of windows knocked out and what have you but that was quickly you know stopped but then a week later he came back to march to visit march in the following week and then of course by that time he had drawn the attention of james L. Ray for whatever reason whether it was organized and he was hired but nobody will ever will ever know for sure exactly why he was here but he moved down close to the rainbow field and killed dr king and of course two months later he was captured in and london and he had to be transferred to my jurisdiction which we did working with the federal government sent an air force plane to pick him up and bring him back and i took him in custody here in shelby county when he arrived kept him through all that process and what yeah. was mainly for me was that he had to be kept alive unlike what happened in dallas with uh, the assassination of uh, president kennedy and uh, mm-hmm. the guy who accused of course was killed so anyway yeah. it was it was, it was interesting times, interesting times and challenging times, and uh, it worked out very well. James Earl Ray, he later claimed he was coerced into pleading guilty. Was he coerced? And, and what do you think? Was he actually guilty? Well, there was no question in my mind that he was guilty, and I thought he had, I felt, always felt like he had other people who knew about what he was going to do and what he did do, and I don't put it in the category of conspiracy, but I do put it in the category of collusion. Mm. And uh, his lawyer had him to plead guilty, in my opinion, to protect the other people involved in case a trial was to be held and that he was convinced to go ahead and plead guilty and the opportunity somewhere along the line down the road, maybe having a retrial and to get out of it. But if he had two brothers, uh, that more than likely, in my opinion, knew about it and he had a family involvement there and he had other people involved and uh, he was better off to plead guilty and take a life sentence as opposed to somewhere down the road going to the trial and going to the lecture chair and meanwhile probably exposing some of the other people. So it, it was probably a negotiated deal, not through the Attorney General's office, but through his lawyer and his family and others. And, uh, and so it worked 
out to, to plead guilty. Yeah. Well, let's jump back ahead for a minute because this is something I wish Elvis would have been alive to see this, what I'm about to talk about, because I can just imagine the conversations you two would have about this. What an honor to have a highway named after you, the Bill Morris Parkway in Memphis. I can just hear you and Elvis talking about whose street is better. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, he would he would think that'd be a lot of fun. And of course, I was I was very pleased and, and shocked when the Tennessee legislature named this expressway in my honor. The reason for that was by years of politics, uh, I was an advocate for infrastructure, building highways, including that one, uh, all the way from Memphis to, to uh, across Tennessee. And uh, so the legislature recognized that uh, interest of mine, and and I was rewarded with the name of, of the of highway bill for Parkway. But Elvis, his name is popping up everywhere, you know, and I have to tell you, I named, as mayor, I named the trauma center, if the mayor did not local big hospital, we named it the Elvis Presley Trauma Center, mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted his real soul to be shared, let people know how he really felt about things. So he was a lot more than just a musician. He was a humanitarian at the highest level. And so in a trauma environment where people were dying and going to, and it was, it was named in his honor, to remember his interest in people and the welfare of humanity. Do you still visit Graceland today? And if so, what thoughts go through your head? You know, John, I participate generally every year. I go out and we meet with fans and people from all over the world. Not so much... Probably we won't do that anymore, particularly from the very first year that he had uh, a birthday in January following his death. I was uh, in office that particular year, and the city mayor and myself, we went out and had a birthday cake for him. And we did that every year in January for many, 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 many years. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've been an advocate for Elvis all along the way to try to get people to remember of all the good he has done for this city and our community and has served as a catalyst to make things happen in our city. So I still have a connection, but now that you, you have a commercial control of Graceland, which leaves me a little bit sad because it is so commercialized now as opposed to having his life being showcased in a manner that, you know, I thought would be like a memorial service every year, once a year, like we did at the University of Memphis. Yes, for George 39 Klein, yeah. years. George Klein, we did that all those many years. Matter of fact, I just saw on YouTube this morning my remarks in 2010, when that 10 years ago. I saw that on YouTube as well. I saw I had never seen it before this morning. I saw it posted. And uh, I really thought that was, it was great that we could go there and welcome people from abroad, you know. And speaking of that, the guys have been YouTube and Elvis Presley, Sales Radio, and so I have been promoting my book, and I've been getting book orders from everywhere in the world because yeah. those interviews and you know like EP Elvis Radio and Sears Radio and, and uh, I did a national interview on television. You know people around the world with Australia. Matter of fact, just this week had a, a couple of orders from New Zealand and I said, my goodness gracious. And so I personalize those books when people order them. Unfortunately it's, it's cost a lot of money to send send the book to, to Europe. About $12 oh, wow. postage. That's, oh 
man. I surprised in the book. But, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's been fun. It's been fun to talk to people, communicate with people around the, around the world about Elvis. And the main thing about my book, I wanted people to see he enjoyed a life beyond entertainment. And mm-hmm. he supported guys like me in law enforcement and being a part of that. You know, and, and he was interested in religion. Elvis was a lot more than just the guy who swiveled his hips. And all these many years, uh, it's been my goal to make sure that the very best of what I knew was the message I had when we talked about Elvis Presley. The name of the book, it's Bill Morris, A Legendary Life. It's available at BillMorrisBook.com and also on Amazon.com, I believe. And I want people to know if they order from BillMarshBook.com, uh, if they would like to have me writing it, I, they, they let me know, and I I go by and I will sign and write a message or sign and personalize it or whatever uh, when they order. I've been pleased to do that. I definitely want to get your book. I, I, I sure want to write in the book. Well, I would appreciate I that. Write, yeah, you bet. You don't know me like that. We all know of you as sheriff and mayor and friend of Elvis, but I want to get to know you on a little personal note here. So I have just a few short little questions. So I want to know, what is your favorite food? Vegetables, homegrown vegetables. Do you grow your own vegetables? Uh, and many times I have, I have friends that do, and I, I buy them from the farmer's market. Do you watch a lot of TV? Do you have a favorite TV show? No, I do not watch a lot of TV. I would watch the news, current news some. I do not spend a lot of time watching. I spend a lot of time watching old movies. If I was going to watch TV, it would be an old movie more than likely. Yeah, they just don't make movies like they used to. I, I watch uh, a lot of the movies from the 50s and 60s, and I love that era of yeah. television. So the Last night, though, I, I've had this movie around a long time, uh, Seven Years in Tibet, uh, which mm-hmm. was a, a great, great movie with Brad Pitt. And it's because of the great storyline from World War II, uh, what happened in a peace-loving country like Tibet, where one million people were killed and 60,000 monasteries destroyed with a peaceful generation of people. And, uh, and I had not really thought about that until I watched the movie last night. So I watched documentaries. I watched his history channel more than anything, you know, the Civil War stuff that they do there. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, I don't I don't enjoy modern-day television yeah. and movies mm-hmm. generally. Well, maybe you can put this question to rest, and I'm sure you've been asked this <laughs> several times, but in your opinion, what is the best barbecue in Memphis? Ooh, well, if it's in Memphis, it's good. <laughs> yes, <laughs> good answer. <laughs> hey, I'll take I'll the I'll I'll political stance on that. I love I love good barbecue. <laughs> hey, tell us about the first job you ever had way back as a young man. Oh, I, I guess the first real job I had was uh, when I was ten. I had a paper route in Mobile, Alabama, and I had a job at the curb market in the afternoon as well. So mm-hmm. that's why I've got my Social Security card. I was ten and a half and still have it, and uh, I've been gainfully employed ever since. And I've always had to work, needed to work, and I left home at 14. My family moved away, and I went to work for a newspaper in a little town near Elvis, where Elvis lived. And uh, I worked there all through high school, and junior, two years of junior college, and, and uh, lived uh, in dormitories and after school and so forth. But I worked every day that I was in high school, junior college, so 
I've been employed, love to work, enjoy working. I'm a hardworking guy. So was my family. We were just we were sharecroppers and timber cutters and sawmill hands. And so mm-hmm. that's the thing that we do in our lifestyle that we, we do. And I've never known anything different. And I put that same work ethic to work in sheriff's department, mayor's office, whatever else I've done. What was the first car that you ever had? Uh, it was a 1941 Mercury two-door. Those are pretty big cars yeah. back back but, then. Well, that, that was a big car, but it was, by the time I got it, it was pretty old, too. But you got it, I bought it in 1949. And, uh, yeah, I loved that car. <laughs> I, I, I had to pay, pay for it $5 a week from an old used car lot in Fulton, Mississippi. Oh, wow. But, yeah, but I, was, I, was in high, I was in high cotton. High cotton. <laughs> I didn't have money for gas, but I did get the car. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm gonna mention I'm gonna mention a name to you, and you just say what comes to mind. BB King. Oh, awesome guy! I tell you, Mississippi guy, you know, and uh, you know that guitar his Lucio could talk, and I love BB <laughs> King and met, met him and enjoyed his relationship with him. Elvis loved him. Sam Phillips. Well, I had the privilege of selling Sam the furniture when in Sun Studios when he first opened it. I was working really? for a local furniture. Yep. And so I've known you, Sam, on and on and on and on. We were, we, we did a lot of get-togethers, you know, over the years after, after the Elvis involvement. We, we were on a lot of forums. And, you know, uh, his son just died. Yes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, as it was just, he was really out there and carrying on the legacy of Sam Phillips. Sam Phillips was an interesting guy. And uh, I used to say uh, I met with Sam Phillips today and we had a conversation. Oh, really? Yeah. He talked and I listened. <laughs> uh, he was definitely a good talker, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, all that. He could talk. He could talk his shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next name on the list here, George Klein. Loved the guy. He graduated from high school with my wife, Ann. I loved him from the day on. And I said in this YouTube thing uh, in 2010, no one, promise you, no one, and I've known all these guys, has ever done more to perpetuate the good name and legacy of Elvis Presley than George Klein. Next on this list is Al Green. Al Green is just a, he is a legacy in my town. Great preacher, great musician, and I was out at the Grammy Awards in Los Angeles one year with T.G. Shepard and Al Green and a bunch of the guys, and it was what a fun thing to do to, to watch him. He has never let his music interfere with his ministry. Love the guy. Justin Timberlake. Whew, what a guy. What a guy. He's he's long after me, and he don't know me and personally, and I know him. So you have a different relationship with something, you know. I've never had a personal contact with Justin Timberlake, but his family, of course, in Millington. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew them through politics and what have you. But uh, I've been admiring what he has done in his life. And what I really like as much as anything about him, he never has forgotten his roots. As yeah. Elvis did not forget. And mm-hmm. that, that says an, an awful lot. The last name on this list, Priscilla Presley. Well, Priscilla, is a, she likewise, she still likes Memphis. And Priscilla, we always had a good relationship. Uh, when when they first got married, I had some time to take her out to the shopping center to shop if she wanted to, and that type of thing. Showed that nobody would harass her. But anyway, we've always had good uh, good conversation. I see her a lot at, at events here and in uh, Memphis when we're together. We've done some things uh, on programs together before, and uh, 
she's has been a supporter of the University of Memphis, which is really nice through R.C. Johnson, athletic director, and others. But so I, I would consider her a good friend. Okay, this is my final question for you. And we're going to spin at the end of the show. We always spin what we call our dumb question wheel. <laughs> it's going to be a ridiculous question. Okay, uh, here you go. If you could be Elvis Presley for one day, what would you do? What would I do if I were Elvis Presley for one day? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I can't imagine. I cannot imagine being in his shoes. And I've been with him in a lot of circumstances, but uh, I just can't imagine. He was so unique that I, I don't have an. I don't have an idea what I. First of all, I would be shocked and stunned that I, that I was in that position. You know, I think I would probably take the Lisa Marie as many places as I could fit in to visit and to some of the best restaurants. Uh, of course, I would drive at least one or two of his cars, the Stutz or the Ferrari. But I think you'd have a problem because your first thing you have to be in a defensive mode because the young ladies would be all obese. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you get a situation where you have to fight off the beautiful ladies, you know, that's, that would not be a bad thing to have happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it w- I take it all back. I would stay right there at Graceland then. <laughs> John, thank you. been good talking to you. BillMorrisBook.com. Get the book, guys, okay? Thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate your time. What an honor to speak with you, Mr. Morris. Thank you, John. You take care. Bye-bye. Hey, coming up next on the show, it's Elvis Trivia. A listener has a chance to win a Life and Last podcast t-shirt. When it comes to real estate, the realtor you choose is very important. Because when it comes to choosing your family's new home, that's a very critical decision. That's why April Price of Thompson Realty Company will do whatever it takes to help you and your family find your dream home. For the past seven years, April has been serving all of Arkansas, living out her dream job as a realtor, and loves touring new homes right alongside her clients. Recently engaged, April and her fiancé and their three children know the importance of finding, purchasing, and selling real estate in Arkansas for you and your family. It's what she does best. So if you're looking to buy or sell a home in Arkansas, give April a call at 501-607-0038 or email her at aprilprice.plus2 at gmail.com. That's April Price of Thompson Realty Company. Life and Laughs Podcast, recorded live from the geographical center of the natural state, where it's illegal to keep your alligator in your bathtub. Hey, welcome back to Life and Laughs Podcast with Johnny and Elias. It is time for our first Elvis-themed game show. Elvis trivia on Life and Laughs. Let's go to the phone lines right now because we have a listener that is about to play. Hello? Uh, hey, yes, hey, this man. is Johnny. Hey, hey, Johnny, can you hear me? Who is yeah, who hey, is this? It's Elias. I just um, had to run out. I had to run out <laughs> and uh, find, a, find a payphone. It's hard to find, man. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, so well, Elias I'll wants to play. I tell you what, Elias, yeah. we are going to let you go ahead and play. You're going to play for an actual listener. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> In fact, oh, why don't you run? Why don't you run back inside? Hold on. <laughs> I gotta come. Hold on, let me get my breath real quick. Hey man, hey man, you got a coke? 
Brothers Thirst. <laughs> hey, Johnny, you still there? Back in the studio now. Elias is going to play our Elvis trivia game for... Christy Ramsey of hey. Little Rock, Arkansas. Hello, Christy Ramsey. I will tell you this. Christy is a former Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. And Christy has shared our show several times on her social media. So you can do the same and maybe you'll be selected to play a game on Life and Laughs podcast. Are you ready, Elias? I'm ready. Come on, hit me with some questions. Hit me with your best shot. That's what I'm saying to you. What was Elvis's first number one hit on the U.S. Billboard pop charts? Was it Burning Love, mm-hmm. Hound Dog, mm-hmm. Heartbreak Hotel, or Stuck on You? Oh, I know so many Elvis fans are going to be so mad at me for not knowing exactly. I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to say it was <laughs> Hound Dog. Okay, so you are 0 for 1. We're going to give you a second chance. In fact, we'll ask you three questions, and hopefully you can get at least two of these right. Okay, if you can get two right, Christy will win a brand new Life and Laughs podcast t-shirt. Okay. I'm sorry, Christy. Here's your next Elvis trivia question. Give me up. What single did Elvis record after suing Priscilla for divorce on January 8th, 1973? Was it Blue Christmas, Mm. All Shook Up, Mm. Always On My Mind, Mm -hmm. or Separate Ways? Oh, it's got to be Separate Ways, right? It's got to be Separate Ways. (laughs) See, I know my emotions. (laughs) All right, you were one for two. So if you get this next question right, Christy Ramsey of Little Rock, Arkansas, she will win a Life and Laughs podcast t-shirt. Boom. Here we go. Elvis memorized every line from what George C. Scott movie? Was it The Last Run, Strange Love, Patton, or Jane Erie? Oh, I'm going to say Strange Love. Uh, no, that's not what I was going to say. I was, what were the other ones? <laughs> I was just thinking correct. about an old relationship of mine. I, I had that strange love. <laughs> the correct answer, of course, was Patton. Elvis oh, yeah. memorized every word from that script. In fact, people would come over and he would act out the movie. He wouldn't just read the lines. He would play the characters and do the whole script. Did this for Jerry Schilling one time. Awkwardly. <laughs> so i tell you what, though. We are going to go ahead and give Christy a Life and Last podcast yes. shirt. Yes. Yes. And a valued listener. Congratulations. <laughs> the show. Yes. You can thank me for that, Christy. Hey, I got to thank our sponsors today, Dead and Buried Inc. If mm-hmm. you need any kind of printing services done, yeah. they are the ones. You can do it online. They service the whole country. Deadandburiedinc.com. I wear their shirts all the time. Also, special thanks to Rick Viper, our MC. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We are on several outlets, just about anywhere you can hear a podcast. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, iTunes. Podbean, yeah, all of them. Make sure you subscribe, follow the podcast, and you will get notified when we release each new episode. Be sure to follow us on social media as well. You can find us on Instagram, laughs underscore, and underscore, life underscore. No, 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 no. Life underscore. 
and underscore laughs underscore podcast. It's easy enough to find. Also on Facebook, that's facebook.com life and laughs podcast. Hey, coming up on the next episode of Life and Laughs Podcast, the daughters of Memphis Mafia member Marty Lacker. He was also Ellis's co-best man at his wedding to Priscilla Presley. They are going to be here, Angie and Sherry, on the next episode of Life and Laughs Podcast. Hey, if you're out there and you want to participate and play on one of our games here on the podcast, go ahead and leave us a message on Instagram or Facebook, anywhere you can get a hold of us. Do it because we want to put you on this podcast. And if you do win, you'll get hooked up with the Life and Laughs Podcast t-shirt. Thanks again to Bill Morris. If you want to get his book, that's BillMorrisBook.com. Great guy. Great interview today. Thank him for being on the show. Hey, Elias, remember to live life. Love everybody. And, and laugh, laugh always. Fix me a peanut butter banana sandwich, man. <laughs> Follow me to the jungle room. <laughs>